Let's take our Bibles this morning, please. Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we continue with our series, The Portraits of Christ. John chapter 6. Have you heard the story of I'd Rather Have Jesus and where it came from? It was a poem written by Rhea Miller, and George Beverly Shea's mother just fell in love with the poem. But she knew if she asked her teenage boy to write some music for it, like a lot of teenage boys, he might shy away from mom's request. So she just snuck it in between his music on his piano. And of course, when he found it, he agreed with mom that it was a great poem. And while she was doing dishes one night, she could hear him singing those verses while he wrote the music. And so moms can still manipulate a little bit, and, but what a great, great song. I'd rather have Jesus than anything else, and may we be reminded of that this morning. My family and I, my wife and I, tonight, right after the service, will be leaving to attend a conference for some training. We're looking forward to that, and then in a few days, we'll start our vacation time this year, so we'll be gone for the next two Sundays. We are excited about some of the preachers that are coming through this Wednesday night, Brother Paul McPherson on our Wednesday nights, well, Brother Paul McPherson, Brother Brad Vogel, and, um, boy, I'm top, top of my head, and I, I just forgot the third. I, oh, Brother uh, Calvin Baker uh, for our July 1st service, which is being moved to June the 30th. So the Tuesday night will be our midweek service that week, simply because on the July 1st we have a parade uh, float that we are doing for our vacation Bible school, and we know that folks will be very tired after that, and also we know that families like to get together. Sometimes that's the only day Dad has off to, to, to go into fireworks and such, and so we want to move that to Tuesday night to allow you some family time. And then on our Sunday services, we're looking forward to next week is Father's Day, so Brother Paul McPherson will be preaching the morning service, and then one of our fathers will be preaching the evening service, Brother Ray Kirkwood. And if you, if you need to know anything about Brother Ray Kirkwood, ask the teenagers. They, they are blessed by his teaching each and every week, and it'll be a good time in the house of God next week. Then the following week, we're doing one of our Bethel days, uh, where we've had some of our alumni come back and preach. And so uh, a week from Sunday, Brother Russ Wilkinson. How many of you remember the Wilkinson family? And they were on staff here for a few years, and Brother Russ uh, is here with his family on vacation. And so we've asked him to preach the Sunday morning, June 28th, and we'll put the brown box out if you'd like to put a card of encouragement in or uh, a little gift or something to be a blessing to him. Uh, we'd encourage you to do that. That is June 28th. And then on June the 28th in the evening service, uh, I, I hope that you're really excited about this. We are having Brother Jim Post in, Missionary to Israel. And we have been looking for a long time, and I've learned that because they're going to Israel, they're very careful about how they promote, and uh, he doesn't call himself a missionary, he calls himself a representative. If he puts the word missionary on his visa, they won't let him in the country. And so they're very careful, they're very difficult to find because of that, and I've had people for years, Brother Took, it says, we need a missionary to Israel. He's reminded me of that several times, and and so we've had this young man coming through, Brother Jim Post, and uh, you be here that June 28th, the Sunday evening, and uh, it'll be a real blessing to you to hear what God is going to do in Israel. And so we're, we're thankful for that. So pray for my family as my wife and I, we go to a conference for a few days, and then we'll start our vacation later this week, and uh, we'll be gone down to see her mom in Texas, and pray for her mom as uh, she, her health has been deteriorating for some time now, and so we thought we'd better get down. I haven't been down in six years, and so it's important that I go and 
uh, my wife and our girls are going as well. So pray for us as we travel. We'll be stopping in Chicago to see Brendan on our way down there for a couple days and uh, looking forward uh, to that time. So we thank you so much for your prayers and and for safety uh, as we travel across the United States. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And Donna, thank you for that song. That God never fails us. That God knows everything and he makes no mistakes. And I I don't know if I could have picked a better song to go with the message this morning about our all-knowing God. John chapter 6. We've been looking at the portraits of Christ. We'd like to look at another this morning. Jesus, the all-powerful and the all-knowing God. Verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him. For, him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful today that we can gather in this place and learn more about Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd help us to understand that our problems are no comparison to his power. Father, we ask that you'd help us to understand that God is in control of not just today, but tomorrow as well. As a father, I need your spirit's help and filling. I pray that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit of God as I share this message. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts with it today. And Father, we'll give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to have to lower the mic for a moment. These lights get hot, amen. (laughs) I don't want to be sniffing all through the service. So John chapter 6, John chapter 6. We see a verse that just kind of jumps out to me. Often when we look at John chapter 6, we think of the loaves and the fishes, the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle that Christ performed there on that day as he prayed over that food and it was multiplied and spread among the multitudes that they would have much to eat. And the Bible says at the last that 12 baskets were filled with what was left over. That's That's a pretty good amount of food, isn't it? God really blessed in that instance, but I want to direct your attention to something that I think jumps out at me, and it's verse 6. The Bible says, and this he said to prove him, now look at that next phrase, for he himself knew what he would do. He himself knew what he would do. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, 
we read that famous verse, the Bible says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. We got to see the glory of God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Throughout this series of messages so far, we have beheld his glory. We have, to this point, witnessed his baptism. We've seen him perform many miracles already in just the few chapters we've looked at. We have witnessed him preach the message of salvation, especially in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Perhaps, though, no other passage in the first six books of, uh, of John or the first six chapters of the book of John give us more insight into the life of Christ than this little verse tucked away in the middle of the chapter. For he himself knew what he would do. The fact that God is in control of everything. That God is in control of our tomorrows. How many of you enjoyed Mrs. McConkie's song last week? Wasn't that a blessing? I know uh, who holds tomorrow. I, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know he holds my hand. What a wonderful reminder to know that God is in control and that God is all-knowing. If there's ever a reason to put yourself fully in the hands of Christ, it is simply from this one little verse, he knows. He knows. He knows what is coming next. Boy, you ever fearful of that? You ever fearful of what's coming next? Some of you here today are waiting to hear back from the doctor. We are praying for a, a little one, and it's been shared with me, and I've been asked not to share it just yet, but grandparents have come to me and said, Pastor, pray for our little grandchild. There's some rare disorder that they're checking uh, this little one about, and, and they won't know for a while. And, and let me be honest with you, that waiting is so hard, isn't it? But God already knows. He already knows what is coming next, and when we face those trials in life, we can put our trust in Him. He knows what to do to solve your problem. He just simply knows. He knows how to calm the stormy sea. He knows all about the enemies you're facing. He knows the mountains you must climb and the valleys you must go through. He knows what the doctor is going to say and how to fix the problem. He knows when you're running out of money, and He knows how to provide for your needs. That verse blessed me this week more than, than you will ever know that just simply Jesus knows. He's an all-knowing, almighty God. Essentially, in the Word of God, there are two different words that are used for the word know, a Hebrew word and a Greek word. The Hebrew word is the word yada. Have you ever heard that word before? Sometimes, well, we use it kind of flippantly. You might be relating a story to me. You know, you might be saying, well, my wife was telling me this, and you know, yada, 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 yada. You ever said that? No, of course not, man. What the word yada means is, I know, I know. And so sometimes you will see uh, Jewish people that they're mourning at a, at a graveside or they're mourning in a, in a funeral home, and they'll, they'll put their hand on the back of the one that's grieving, maybe a widow or what have you, and they'll say, yada, 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 yada. And it means, I know, I know, I know how you're feeling. The truth is, sometimes we don't know. 
Sometimes we need to be careful when we say something like that, especially if, if somebody has lost a child and we don't know what that feels like. And we say, I know how you're feeling. Somebody is facing some other trait. They just got the news that they've got cancer and, and you say, well, I know how you feel, but you've never experienced anything like that. Sometimes we use the word a bit flippantly. In the New Testament, the word is the word oda. The word oda, it's a Greek word. And it means a little bit different. And when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was referred to him here, it, it means literally to know through experience and to completely understand the situation. So the word yada means to have knowledge of something. I'm aware of this. And we can go to a funeral and we can say, I know. And we may not mean it in the same way. You might say, well, I don't know what it's like to lose a spouse, but I know what death is about. I've experienced loss in my life, and so yes, I, I know somewhat what you're feeling, but maybe not exactly. But this word that the Lord Jesus Christ uses, I know, it, it literally means that they know through experience and they completely understand the situation. When God says he knew what he would do, that's the word he used. God was completely aware of the need. He understood the situation he identified without ever asking anybody that these people were hungry. And he had a solution to the problem. I want to tell you this morning, that's the God I want to put my life into his hands. The one that already knows what my needs are in my situation. Many years ago, I received an email from Pastor Jessup. And Pastor Jessup put an email that was more of a personal nature asking people to pray, and his grandson, I, I believe his grandson was only about two years old, and was rushed to the hospital in Colorado. I believe his father's name was Jay, Jay Jessup. And, and uh, this little boy was very, very sick, and they were very worried about him and asked people to pray, and they, they weren't sure. And I, and I guess I'll be honest with you, I read the email, and I thought, well, he's a little guy, he'll be okay. Prayed for him briefly, perhaps, and we even maybe put it on our prayer list at the church and such, but I, I just remember thinking, well, you know, I'm glad that they're asking for prayer, and we'll certainly pray for the little guy, but I'm sure he'll be okay. About two hours later, we received the email that the little boy had died. What a terrible, terrible tragedy to lose a child, and some of you are acquainted with that grief. It was just about two weeks after that, Faithway Baptist Church was holding their spring Bible conference. And we went to the Spring Bible Conference, and I remember Pastor Baker got up, and he said, I'd like to ask prayer for a couple people today. He says, Brother Jessup just got back from a funeral of his grandchild, and pray for their family and their son and daughter-in-law. But I'd also like to pray for Brother Roy Doughty. Roy Doughty is a pastor down in Windsor area. He says they've had a little boy born into their family. He's just a few months old, a grandson. And they said the boy is very, very sick. They're not sure he's going to survive. They're not sure what is wrong, but it looks very bleak. And Brother Doughty has come here today, and the only reason he has broken away from his family to be here today was he wanted to get around God's people and pray. He just really felt that this was the most important thing he could do for the benefit of the child was to come here to this meeting and get with probably 700 people in that auditorium and pray over that baby. And so, as we often would start services like that, he says, let's grab a partner and let's pray. And I remember uh, the preacher preached and, and the altars flooded and for about 10 or 15 minutes, people were praying. I mean, we prayed before the service, but after the service, 
the hearts were tender and people were praying. And, and I mean, the invitation went on for about 10 or 15 minutes, people praying for the, uh, for the Jessups and praying for that little baby. And I remember going back to my seat and I had prayed that day with Pastor Holman and went back to my seat and I thought, well, the invitation's still going. And you couldn't see because everybody was standing and you didn't know who was at the altar, but it really didn't matter. It wasn't our business, but you could hear still sobbing and praying. I went on for another five, six minutes. And finally, two men stood up and embraced and for another five minutes wept together. It was Brother Dowdy and Brother Jessup who could truly understand what it was like to lose a grandchild. And in front of 700 people just stood there and wept. That's the definition of the word, I know. I know the pain you're feeling. I know the suffering you're going through. And Brother Jessup, whether this was God's design or not, God used his tragedy to be able to help and comfort another. You say, what happened to that little baby? My son called me a little while ago and he says, Dad, do you know a Caleb Dowdy? And I said, well, I know. I know his grandpa. He says, he's in college with me. That was that little baby boy that was going to die. God saved him and he's in Bible college today. Hey, God can still work miracles. God knew. And he knows your need. And he cares about you. That's a wonderful truth of Scripture. I want to ask you this question today and give you four answers from Scripture because of an all-knowing God. Why should we trust Him? Why should we trust Him? First of all, I would say from the Scripture as I read it today, the first thing that impresses upon my heart is this. We should trust Him because He has an elevated knowledge. He has an elevated knowledge. The Bible says, in this He said to prove Him. In other words, God already knew. God's ways are past finding out. God knew the end from the beginning. And we can trust him because he already knew what he was going to do. He was just testing Philip. Philip, will you answer in the carnal? Will you turn and say, well, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. We don't have enough money. Where are we going to buy enough bread? We don't have enough fish. Or Philip, will you trust the spiritual? Will you say, with God, nothing shall be impossible? Jesus, you're in control and you can do whatever you want to do. I'm going to trust you. God had an elevated knowledge of the situation. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And read with me, if you will, in verse 33. Romans chapter 11. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? I, that comes across as a joke to me. I kind of giggle when I think, who out there is big enough to counsel God? Nobody. Uh, it's tongue-in-cheek as Paul is writing to the church of Romans and making them think a little bit. Who can give God counsel? Verse 35, Or who hath first 
given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Job was speaking of God when he said, Dost thou know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge? He's saying God knows all things. He has an elevated knowledge, and we are to trust him because he knows the end from the beginning, and his ways are past finding out. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 139. Open to about the middle of your Bible, and that's about where you need to be. Psalm 139. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into a heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Brother Paul, isn't that a wonderful verse? Even when that child, I'm thinking about that child in the womb where he was conceived in secret and many weeks go by and nobody knows that child is there, but God does. God does. Thine eyes, verse 16, did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Even before that little baby had fingers and toes, God knew all about him and wrote it in his book. Put your name there. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, and they are more in number than the sand, when I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God. And know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts. I promise you Mrs. Baker didn't know I was preaching this when she chose the choir number, but that's right from that verse. And verse 24 says, And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of understanding. If I could summarize this chapter in just a few words, it's this. God knows you inside and out. He knows your every need, your every struggle, your every burden. 
we should trust him because he has an elevated knowledge. Simply put, God more knows you better than you and I do. He knows you better than you know yourself. So trust him. Rest in the fact that he knows the end from the beginning. Secondly, this morning we should trust him not only because of his elevated knowledge, but because it's an exclusive knowledge. Look what the Bible says. If we'll look back in John chapter 6, I hope you kept your finger there. The Bible says, and this he said in verse 6, to prove him, for he himself knew. For he himself knew. I think if, if we could ask an English teacher, they would say, we don't even need the word himself. The Bible would simply say, for he knew what he would do. But the Bible uses the word himself. In other words, it was exclusive. God himself, nobody else knew. This was limited to the knowledge of God. And I suppose that we could draw the conclusion from the fact that God has an elevated knowledge. It stands to reason that he has an exclusive knowledge. But we must be careful in trusting our own reason. Look at the Bible. says he himself knew what he would do. There was no one else privy to the plan of God. Boy, i got to tell you, a lot of times we get on our face and we beg and we plead with God. God... What's next? God, I don't understand. God, what is coming tomorrow? God, what is the doctor going to say? And God, what is... And God says, I've got a plan. And I'll let you know when it's time. It wasn't time yet for the disciples to know, even though the problem was right before them, and even though he was presenting Philip with the issues at hand, it wasn't their time to know. But God had it in his heart. And Jesus Christ prepared something for those 5,000 that day. I'm thinking of Abraham and Isaac as they're climbing up that mountain and God has been calling out Isaac and, 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 uh, and telling him to go and sacrifice his son. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon wind on the mountains, which I will tell thee of. What a horrible request. But Abraham, the Bible says, rose up early in the morning and he saddled his ass and he claved some wood and he took two of his servants with him and off they went into the land of Moriah and they walked for three days and lifting up their eyes they saw the place afar off and he left his servants there and he and his lad, he says, he and the, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and return again to you. And as they're climbing that mountain, Isaac says, Dad, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the lamb for the bird offering? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. But he must have wondered if those prophetic words would come true as he's already bound his son and laid him upon the altar and he raises his knife. And God's voice says, stop. See, nobody knew but God. He had a plan that day. Daniel knew full well that if he were to pray even one more time that it could mean his life. He knew very well that the penalty for praying to anybody but the king was certain death, that he'd be thrown into a den of lions. But the Bible says he, did, he prayed as he did aforetime. Nothing changed. And of course, those princes and prime ministers of Babylon spied him out in his room praying towards an open window. He didn't hide it from anybody. They took him before the king and had him cast into the den of lions. Daniel stood for God. He did not know that God would deliver him for sure, but just in time, God closed the lion's mouths. You see, we're not always privy to the information ahead of time. Wouldn't it be wonderful to know? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you were driving 
to the doctor's office and you're, the doctor says, well, I need you to go downtown Hamilton to, to a specialist. And all those specialists are down there on 25 Charlton Street, you know. And I've, I've, over the years, I've taken a lot of people to the doctor. And every time we get in the car, I said, well, where are we going? 25 Charlton Street. All right, let's go. And they said, well, do you know where that is? Are you kidding me? That's where everybody goes. And so down to 25 Charlton, and there's all kinds of medical, it's right across from St. Joe's Hospital, all kinds of medical testing facilities there, and we're driving there, and you know, we've got the GPS on, and, and we're listening to the directions. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God came through that GPS? And he says, hey, don't worry. Today you're going to have an x-ray, and tomorrow the doctor's going to look at it, and the day after that he's going to call you, and he's going to say, well, you've got cancer, but don't worry because you'll have surgery on the 25th, and it'll be removed, and you'll win three nurses to the Lord, and you'll share your faith with your doctor, and you'll walk out of that hospital completely clear of cancer. You'll never have to worry about it again, and I'll get all the glory. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had that? But we don't. You know what God says? God says, I know. Just trust me. Just wait. I know myself. Hey, that ought to be good enough. That ought to be good enough. How many times have you told your kids, well, because I said so? How many of you said to your kids, well, you don't have to know all the reasons. Just trust me. I know what's best for you. Hey, we got to practice what we preach. God knows what's best for you. He's all-knowing, almighty God, and he himself knew the solution to the problem. We just have to learn to trust him. God does not always reveal himself to his creature. He doesn't always tell us when, how, or where he'll work. But we know this, he's working all things together for what? Good. Romans eight twenty eight. When God worked and when Jesus worked on earth, it was always good. Can anybody open the Bible and show me a time when Jesus was working or God was working where it wasn't good? God was always working good. God was always working good. Loving his people, purifying his people, making his people fit for the kingdom. We just must trust in his exclusive knowledge. Thirdly, we can trust him because it's an emphatic knowledge. Look, look just read the scripture with me again. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. The scripture doesn't say, well, Jesus had thought up a plan and was hoping it would go well. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say, well, Philip, it's okay because I got an idea of what we might try here. The scripture's emphatic. He himself knew what he would do. Listen, there's no variation or shadow of turning with God. We can trust in Him. And we can know that it is an emphatic knowledge. There was no wavering in doubt of what the Lord Jesus Christ was about to do. From this we must conclude that He knew that not only what He would do, but what He would do would be successful. That we can trust Him because it would come to pass. In other words, what Jesus was about to do would accomplish a purpose. It would bring God glory. It would draw more souls to Him. You know, though we struggle over our decisions and we fret and worry about different needs in our life, be reminded of this, God is not stymied. There is nothing that has ever taken God by surprise. Boy, I, 
I've probably told you this a hundred times, but it it just makes me giggle every time I read the Bible and I see that passage of Scripture where it says the Pharisees rose up early in the morning seeking to take him by craft. I, I, I just kick my feet up in the air and giggle. How early in the morning do you have to get up to sneak up on God? Amen? Those foolish Pharisees, they thought they could get up and they can trick Jesus. Hey, nothing has ever taken him by surprise. Psalm 139, he knows your thoughts, he knows your heart, he knows everything about you. It's an emphatic situation. Listen, you don't have to wonder, okay, God, do you have this under control? God must be looking down and saying, are you kidding me? Do I have it under control? Do you know that God has a lot bigger things to take care of than us? The fact that the moon doesn't crash into the ocean, that's because of God. The fact that the planets keep revolving around the sun, they tell me this, uh, uh, the, the creation scientists have said this, that if the earth were just a few inches further away from the sun, we'd all freeze to death, and if it was a few inches closer, we'd all burn up. God has placed it in precise perfect position in the universe that we'd have exactly what we need every day of the year. And, and he can't handle my little problem. But God can, God, can you take care of this? Of course he can. Of course he can. He's emphatic about it. He knows what he's going to do. How many of you have ever had a car problem? Boy, I tell you what. Uh, Frank Spong said to me one time, He says, if you ever want to be broke, go buy a car. He told Kevin, the moment you have a car, your hand is always in your pocket. I remember him telling me that. We had lunch one day. And it's true. And I found out why. A couple years ago, my airbag light came on in my car. And so that meant that my airbag wasn't functioning correctly, I guess. I hope I never have to find out. But at that time... Brendan was starting to drive. And I knew that right after he would start to drive, that Emily was going to want to start to drive. And then I've just been informed that 363 days from today, I'm going to have a third driver in my house. He's got the days counted. You know, that's a boy. And so I also knew that in order to take a driving test, you're not allowed to have an airbag light on on your dash. They frown upon that. Because it was the passenger airbag. And so if they crash, they might survive, but the driving instructor wasn't going to. And so they said, you have to have that car in perfect running condition. I said, that means the airbags? And they said, well, yeah, of course. So I took it into the garage. I had to get the airbag fixed. And he said, well, why didn't you use your van? Because the airbag light was on in it too. I don't know. It really was. And so I took it into the garage, and they said this. They said, well, we think we found the problem. Well, that didn't breed a lot of confidence, I'll tell you that. I think we found the problem. I said, well, what's the problem? They said about $600. I said, of course. So we fixed the problem. I said, go ahead, fix it. It needs to be done. The the kids won't ever get their licenses unless they have a car. And, And so I said, we have to get it fixed. And so they went ahead and fixed it. It worked for about a month. And I took it back in, and they said, well, I guess that wasn't it after all. I said, wonderful, can I have that $600 part you threw away then? Oh, no, it's long gone. I said, so what's wrong now? Well, we think. And I said, really? Is this what we're going to do? We're going to keep coming back here every month. Well, this time it was only 300 and some dollars. 
Well, I said, you know what? I said, he got his license. My daughter doesn't drive for another year. I said, why don't we just cut out every month coming back here, and I'll just wait before she takes her driving test and get it fixed. Praise the Lord, the light went out a month ago and hasn't come back on. <laughs> Amen. But I thought, you know, that's somehow how we try to deal with our problems, isn't it? We come and we say, okay, well, let's fix this and let's fix that and let's take care. Oh, that wasn't it. Let's try that. Can I tell you this? God doesn't have a computer he's plugging into your life to see what's wrong. He's not trying to figure out what the problem, he's not scratching his head saying, well, maybe this is the problem and if we fix that and that didn't solve it, we'll try something else. How many of you have had doctors that have done that? Let's try the small thing. Let's try this first. Let's get that straightened around. If that doesn't help, then we'll try something else. That's not God. God emphatically said he knew what he would do, and he knew it would be successful. There was no worries whatsoever as long as they trusted God. Fourthly, why should we trust him? It's also an experienced knowledge. It's an experienced knowledge. John chapter 5. John chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Look what it says now. But what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Why did Jesus feed the 5,000? Because God told him to. That's what John 5.19 says to me. He says he was walking in such communion with the Holy Spirit of God and in such communion with his Father. Jesus had the utmost confidence. I'll take care of this problem. Why? Because God says I can. I'm just going to trust him. Jesus has experienced all sorts of things. Let me ask you this morning, are you suffering? Jesus knows all about suffering. He suffered more than any man that ever lived on the cross of Calvary. Not just a physical torture, but a spiritual pain as he took upon himself the sins of the entire world. Are you grieving today? Jesus wept with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. Are you facing temptation? The Bible says he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. He's seen it all. Nothing's going to surprise him. He has the experience in his knowledge to take care of every situation. He is almighty. He is all-knowing God. He knows your every need, and he has the answer to every problem. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful knowledge and wisdom. We're thankful, Lord, that you know our problems, and you know the problems that are coming tomorrow, but you also know the answer to those problems and the solutions. Help us to learn from John 6, 6 to trust in almighty, all-knowing God. To surrender ourselves and to put ourselves in your hands and your keeping. Father, we pray that you bless our invitation time. Speak to our hearts, we pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed. God has spoke to your heart. This altar is open even now. Would you step out and come?